0: Yeah, Salt Lake is a great story. Um, definitely a high point, I think, in um, modern working class history in the UK, I'd say. Um, kind of sad because I find that the lessons that, was, that were learned from the 1972 uh, successes were not learned by the trade union leadership. And even Scargill himself kind of forgot about them in a lot of ways as he got absorbed into the union bureaucracy. Um, but the ruling class... Uh, personified in the persona of of thatcher learned a lot (laughs) from that experience yeah yeah. Yeah. and um basically the the police fell for a really simple reason at Saltley is that they were just outnumbered there was something like i think if i remember correctly there was 800 police people there and then 20 people uh people marched and so the constable knew that like, if the police did anything, and important to note, I guess, is that the police in the UK, the police don't carry firearms, generally, right? They don't carry guns?
1: No, they don't. They, they still don't to this day, not generally. It's only very special, specially trained units that have them. So they were just armed with, like, wooden clubs, basically.
0: Yeah, they have their batons, which can still do a lot of damage. But, um, you know, essentially it would have been like a hand-on-hand combat, 800 against (laughs) 20,000. And so the constable was like, well, (laughs) we're going to lose this. And that's why he um, agreed to close the gate. Um, And so that Thatcher did not let that kind of thing happen again. Um, And and they took very specific preparations against it. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's also worth mentioning. Then, of course, then Scargill becomes more incorporated into the union leadership after that, and there is another miners' strike in '74, which is much more under the control of the official bureaucracy. Yeah, um, it was called officially. It was under the control of like the national leadership from the start. Heath panics um, again and then calls a general election trying to do the de Gaulle manoeuvre from um, 68, take the sting out of it by calling a general election, which he doesn't win. And Mm -hmm. ruinously and infamously, he posed the question in the general election, who runs Britain, the government or the unions? And in the end, there was a hung parliament. So Mm. in the end, the result was well, nobody. Um, The Queen. So, Well, (laughs) if some people got their way, yes. Um, But Interestingly enough, what happens is, even though there is, just before the uh, the, um, seventy-four election and the miners' strike, there is this um, other uh, struggle that goes on, which I can't go too far into, but there's uh, the London Dockers uh, leading a militant struggle against cutbacks and closures in their industry. And five of them, uh, five Dockers from Pensonville, got imprisoned. Under the Industrial Relations Act, and this received like a huge response from the working class to the point where there was a a rank and file push for a general strike in nineteen seventy four, uh, to the point where again Heath panicked and ordered the, in violation of every supposed norm of good old British justice, he ordered um, th- through a person called the official solicitor, who we've never heard from before or since. It was a position just made that was it up. invented. <laughs> We made it up to order the release of these five guys from prison to stop (laughs) what was building up to it would be a general strike. So He's lost the confidence of the bourgeoisie, basically. He'd come in promising to do all this stuff. His lasting legacy was actually British membership of the European Union, which was yeah. a key demand yeah. of British finance capital to enable uh, uh, to them to get access to other markets for investments. That was the thing that he was more fondly remembered for in the capitalist class, but his attempt to do battle with the unions was ruinous failure. And he very nearly caused, like, uh, revolutionary situations to emerge because his tactics were so inept. Um, But when you get to 74, and this is the point where our story will break, because the wave of class struggle is intensifying up to the point in 1974 where Harold Wilson limps back into power with barely a majority following the second election in October of 1974. So they have to have two elections to get a functioning government out of it. And even then, he's got a majority of about three. So what you have there between around about at least 68 to 74 is six years of intensifying and generalizing class struggle powered through not just Scargill, he was just one example of it, but many thousands of militant rank-and-file trade unionists across the country pushing the trade union bureaucracy out of the way, never mind the Labour Party leaders, and pushing these struggles forward on, uh, through the strength of the, the solidarity within the workplaces. And this is the thing that the, the ruling class decides is a real danger to them, and they are right. It also is the thing that the trade union leaders are in full agreement with the ruling class on. That has got to stop. And what the Labour government led by Wilson and then Jim Callaghan do between 74 and 79 is they consciously try to break down that generalised solidarity in the mining industry, but also in other areas, steel, the car, steel industry, the car industry, the shipbuilding industry. And this is the, this is what the government of 74 to 79 will do. And it is that which leads us to, um, we'll be telling more about this, this part of the story in the next episode. But that is where the break comes. Mm. And it comes because the, the Social Democratic Party in this country, the Labour Party, consciously sets out to break down the solidarity of the working class and to defuse a revolutionary situation on behalf of British capitalism. And it's also where the limitations of what was a heroic form of struggle—the rank and file organization, or the shop stewards' movement, as it was called—it's where the limitations of that form of struggle really show itself. We said at the beginning of the episode that um, Lenin wrote about the limits of spontaneism. Well, this is it in action. Mm -hmm. The those shop stewards organizations, they pushed as far as it was possible to go within a trade union structure. And in the end, because there was no Revolutionary Party there, the Communist Party is, well, I've already covered them. I won't go there again. Um, I'll save that for the next episode. Um, The only political outlet that is available is then the bureaucracy pushing for a vote for the Labour Party. And that's a death knell, really, to this movement, though it takes several more years for it to manifest. And it shows that this they pushed as far as possible within the framework of trade unionism under a capitalist state, which is always mm. limited. And they couldn't mm-hmm. go any further than they were, had gone by 1974. That would have taken a party to then continue generalizing the struggle and to continue to build it, Regardless of whether it was the Tories or the Labour Party in, and so as we said at the beginning, that's where the bar- that's a real demonstration of the, the, the dead end of spontaneism.